Hello, local church. My name is Eden, and I am so excited to be back with you this Sunday, and really, really excited to be sharing with you on this particular verse alongside Justice and Sabrina. And I really believe that the Lord has something powerful to share with us through the three of us today. And so I'm just going to read our Exodus scripture, Exodus 33:11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And there are two things from this story that I really felt God was highlighting to me as I was reading it, and I want to share those with you. And so my first point today is going to be that we are made for intimacy. It is how God created us. And I love the part of this scripture that says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. And if you think about face-to-face, that's a very intimate <laughs> position to be in. There's not probably many people that you would stand face-to-face with. Um, maybe someone you really care about, somebody you love, a spouse, even a child, you might stand face-to-face and be close to. But there's not many situations where we might do that. And maybe intimacy has even been a scary word for us. Because um, it really does mean, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but into me see. It is a very open and vulnerable place to have intimacy. I am somebody who really enjoys their personal space. I don't love it when people crowd my personal space. It's why when I go to you know see a festival or a music concert, something like that, I actually love like an intimate venue where you can like sit in a seat and things like that. I don't love the big festival vibe where, you know, there's like hundreds and thousands of people around you pushing up against you. It's just, it's not my thing. And I, I always feel like I'm getting like elbowed or like someone's sweat is dripping on me. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't it for me. (laughs) I like my space. There's a box, you know, and I'm like, don't come in my box. But there's also times when I find even with eating, I'm a very particular eater with my space. My friends really make fun of me for this. But when I'm like sitting and let's say we're in a booth and there's like five or six of us in a booth, it's tight, it's cramped. You know, they don't make those booths for six people. They make them for four people, really, maybe. And I will sit there and if I have to like, you know, cut something and I'm elbowing the person next to me, I don't love that. I don't love that. I I like my space when I'm eating too. (laughs) I want to have room. And so the idea of intimacy might not be your favorite thing. The idea of someone being close, someone being near. Actually, intimacy is defined in the dictionary as belonging, closeness, familiarity, inseparability. There aren't many times that we seek out I feel like intimacy and vulnerability, that kind of closeness, but God seeks it out with us and he sought it out with Moses. And, you know, in that time, there was this tent of meeting and it would be the place where God's presence would dwell. It's where it would rest and they would carry this tent with them wherever they went. And Moses would go to this tent to meet with God, to hear from God, to hear what their next steps were as a people group, but it was his one-on-one time with the Lord. And actually when he would go into the tent of meeting, all the people would run to the doorway of their tent and they'd watch and they'd wait as Moses would go in to meet with the Lord. It was a significant time for Moses. It was a time where he got to be poured into and filled up by God so that then he could pour out to the people. The meetings weren't really for God. He didn't need to meet with Moses. 
God's big enough that he could do whatever he wanted to do on his own. But he chose to meet with Moses because he knew what it would mean for Moses. He knew what it would mean to have that kind of relationship, that one-on-one, those conversations with the Lord. It was important and it instilled identity in Moses. And that's what vulnerability, that's what intimacy does. It lets you be known. It lets you be seen. And we actually are all created to be known and seen. But it's also one of the things that we probably hide from the most because we don't want to feel exposed. We don't want to feel shame. Maybe there's fear there around the idea of someone knowing you that closely. A lot of times in marriage counseling, a counselor will tell a couple to stare into each other's eyes for five minutes or whatever it is. And it probably feels like an eternity at first. It's really awkward and you kind of look away and then you look back at each other. But if you really take the time to stare into someone's eyes, it's like you bond. And there's a reason why they have couples do that exercise because it creates that kind of knowing. It creates that kind of intimacy. You know, your spouse is probably the person that knows you the best on this earth. And so it's the same with the Lord. We need that kind of intimacy, just like Moses did, because we can't love others out of an empty place. We actually can only love others out of a filled up place. And that's why Moses would go and meet with the Lord first before he would then come before the people. But often we can... We can kind of put that separation with the Lord. And actually in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I will understand everything just as everything about me is fully understood. When the Lord sees us face to face, we are fully understood. We are fully known. The second point that I want to bring from this scripture is that Moses built boldness through closeness. And after God would encounter Moses in this very close, this very intimate way, imagine going into a tent and God coming down like a friend, speaking to you face to face. It would create this boldness in Moses that then he could go out and give the people the commands that he needed to from the Lord, even if they were really hard commands that people didn't always want to hear. It gave Moses a boldness to walk in his identity, walk in his call, walk in who God had made him to be. And it does the same thing for us. When we let the Lord in close, it actually does speak so deeply into who we are that we can then walk in the fullness of that. But Moses needed those tent of meeting moments to prepare him for what God was going to call him to do. And we need those 10 of meeting moments so that we can know what God is going to call us to do. You know, in in those moments, it says that Joshua, who is Moses' kind of like right-hand guy, think of like the young guy who's underneath Moses, wanting to learn, wanting to soak all this up. He would see those moments with Moses and the Lord, and he would want to stay there because he saw how beautiful, how intimate it was. And it made him want more of God. And that's what happens for us too when we have those tent of meeting moments with the Lord. Whether we say it to someone else or not, they're going to notice it about us and they're going to want more of it. They're going to say, how do I get that kind of closeness with God? How do I build that kind of knowing and seeing and intimacy with the Lord? Moses got his identity from the Lord. He communed with the Lord. He ministered to God. You know, if you were at church camp Over the weekend, Levi did an amazing message and talked about how our life's call is to minister to God. That's what Moses did first. 
He went and he ministered to God. God ministered to him, and then he was able to minister to the people. And that's the way it is supposed to work for us as well. Do you let God look at you face to face? Maybe that's a a good question to ask today. Lord, am I willing to be that vulnerable with you? Could I come and could I have those tent of meeting moments? Maybe you need to take time away in your morning before you start your day and come before the Lord in that kind of vulnerability. Maybe you've been scared to be vulnerable with God because you're worried he's going to judge you or reject you because of what you bring to him. But God actually longs to meet with us. He longs to know us. He already knows everything about us. So there's actually nothing that we can bring to him that he doesn't already know. It's not a surprise to him. So today, my challenge would be to you, would be to ask the Lord to come and meet with you. And to be vulnerable with him as he does. Because that creates intimacy. That creates knowing. Just like when we let people into our lives, it creates a bond That's stronger when we say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. And don't just put on a fake face of everything's okay. But actually when we're real, it allows the other people to be real with us as well. And it's the same thing with the Lord. So I'm just going to pray. And I'm just going to pray that we could actually walk into deeper intimacy with God, even in this day. So Father, do come before you today and, and say, Lord, Thank you that you long to meet with us. We don't deserve it. You don't need anything from us. But Lord, you choose to meet with us because you love us and you know what it does for our hearts when we're seen and known by a God who created us and knows us so, so well. Lord, would you give us the boldness like Moses to be able to come before you in the fullness and be very real with you to meet with you, to take those moments away, to have the quiet of our our tent of meeting moments with you. Lord, we know that when we let you in, you are so faithful to come and meet us right where we're at. So we welcome you today in your name. Amen. Good morning, local church. I'm happy to be with you all today. Um, We're just going to dig right in. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at uh, Exodus 33. Uh, verse 11. I want to start a little few verses back in verse 7. So I'll jump right in and then we'll get to it. Uh, Exodus 33 verses 7 to 11. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up, then bow in worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. Moses speaks to God face to face, but through the fabric of the tent. Moses goes inside, and God in the pillar of smoke remains outside. We know from other encounters that it is impossible to look God directly in the face without dying. So that's why they had the tent. Moses calls God his. Uh, Moses is called God's friend. They have an intimate relationship. Um, and today, uh, exa- looking at this passage, uh, I want to help us think through the relationship between the testaments. 
how do the Old Testament and the New Testament connect? We're going to use this event in the life of Moses and the Israelites as sort of a test case for understanding and help it, or rather helping us understand one of the many ways that the Old Testament and the New Testament connect with each other. So the relationship between Old and New Testaments can be tricky at times. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we can examine it. Uh, we're just going to look at one way today, but this is just one tool of many when we examine the relationship between the two Testaments. Um, the one we're going to be looking at today is understanding the relationship as one of type and anti-type. Uh, a definition of a type is sort of a rough, rough draft. It is a less accurate model or version uh, of a more perfect image, which is the anti-type. Moses in this scenario is the type. Jesus is the anti-type. Moses is the rough draft. He is a good mediator, but he's not a perfect mediator. He can't look directly in God's face. He is a friend of God, but he's not the son of God. Jesus is the more perfect model, uh, the anti-type to Moses' type. In this instance, Moses is acting as a mediator between God and the Israelites. Uh, Jesus functions as a mediator in the new covenant and plays a similar role to Moses, only it's better. Jesus in every way is a better Moses. He's a better David, a better Joshua, better Solomon, better Isaiah, the list goes on. All of these important figures in the Old Testament, priests, prophets, kings, point towards the expected Messiah. They are all types of the Jesus antitype, who is meant to be the greatest priest, prophet, king. Okay, back to Exodus. Moses is mediating on behalf of Israel, and he is pleading their case after the events of the golden calf. That's what's happening here. Him and Yahweh have a close, intimate relationship, unlike any other human. But something feels like it's missing in this relationship. There is still this fabric, the tent, that is in front of the face of God. And that leaves something wanting. The beauty of the new covenant is that that veil is torn away. In the life, death, and resurrection, and ascension of Christ, we have a new mediator, a better one. There is no tent between Jesus and the face of God because he is Yahweh incarnate. Colossians 1.15, Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, and their relationship is more intimate than simply friends. It is one of eternal father and incarnate son. In fact, Jesus calls us his friends. In John 15, 15, he says, I do not call, uh, call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. I want to connect the incident, this instance in the Old Testament with an instance in the New Testament, uh, and that is the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at Mark 9, verses 2 to 7. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up the high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Okay, so a lot is happening here. Let's break it down. Jesus takes his three closest friends up to a mountain and reveals to them his true nature. He shows them 
his, uh, his nature, they see the face of God in Jesus incarnate. Then Moses and Elijah show up. Weird flex, but okay. Um, and then Peter, in a moment of panic, is like, uh, uh, Jesus, um, uh, let's build some tents. And this is sort of explained as this like weird like panic because Peter didn't really know what to do. Um, and I, so I don't want to like read too much into this, but I do think it's interesting that we have this instance where the followers of Jesus see God face to face and the immediate instinct of Peter is to build a tent for the three of build tents for the three of them. Um, and this is, I think this is an interesting connection because in the old Testament, Moses and God, uh, had to be separated by a tent because Moses knew the threat of looking at God directly in the face. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's an easy connection to make. And again, I don't want to read too much into it because the text explains this as Peter just sort of panicking and not really knowing what to do. But I think that it's, it's an interesting uh, connection. Um, so when we look at the, uh, these two instances, the one in Exodus and the one in Mark, uh, we, we learn different things about uh, Moses and Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, Moses mediated between God and his people. And in the New Testament, Jesus mediates between God and his people. Moses could not look directly into the face of God, so they were separated by a tent. Jesus can look directly into the face of God because he is, in fact, that very same God. Moses and God had a close, intimate relationship. And Jesus and the Father have the most intimate relationship that two beings could possibly have, and that is eternal Father and everlasting Son. Uh, God shows his face through his Son, the very image of the invisible God. There is a rich theology of priesthood throughout the scripture that we don't have time to dig into today, but it is important to know that in the succession of biblical priesthood from Moses all the way through, Jesus is the culmination of it all. He is the ultimate priest the once and for all priest king, and in Christ, we participate in this royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. With Jesus as our mediator, we can see God face to face. He is not hidden for us, from us. And what for? so that you may proclaim the praises of the one that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, it is all for the glory of God. He has made himself known to us. He has revealed his face to us all for his own glory. Hi, people of God. Hi, local church. I'm really happy to share alongside Justice and Eden today um, on Exodus 33:11. Uh, it's really beautiful. First of all, I like to say that uh, we get to all share from one verse and all have different outcomes. I think it really testifies to the word of God, how it really is a word that you can't just read once and gather everything from, but it is living and continuously speak to us. Now, onto the verse before, 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 before. Let me set the record straight. Moses is the most beautiful animated character you've ever seen. If you're out here watching this today and you're like, mm, the Ten Commandments are so hard. I don't know how I'm about to read them. Go and watch Prince of Egypt. Look at his face, say the, Prince, the Ten Commandments. And after you'll read this and you'll be like, thou shalt not steal with the face of yours. <laughs> I understand it all. I understand it. Anyways, back to the verse, Exodus 33, 11, it says, 
the Lord will speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This instance occurs right after God tells Moses that he will not be go going with them to the promised land. But God, being faithful to his word, says that he'll still bring them to the promised land. Not with him, though. He'll give an angel that will drive out all the other people from their land. But Moses, what's interesting about that is that Moses is not just satisfied with the promised land. He really loves God and he loves his relationship with God. That he takes off his, his tent, drives it out of the camp, puts his tent outside of the, the, the camp and decides to meet God from there. And he calls it the tent of meeting. And anybody that would inquire or would like to speak to God had to go to the tent of meeting. And in time, Moses would go in. The pillar of cloud would go in front of the tent of meeting. And people would step outside of their tent and worship God as Moses was inside the tent of meeting. When I first got this word, when, it first, when um, we first told me that I would speak on Exodus 33.11, I really wanted to speak about speaking to God. Because I just love the relationship Moses has with God, how close they are, how he really loves God and doesn't just um, limit himself. He wants really to be in full relationship with God. But you know when you first um, get what you have to speak on and when you have to write it? Sometimes it's the same time, but sometimes when there's distance in between that, the time you receive the word and you have to write it. You know how things can happen? For me, those couple of weeks were just like a lot of things were happening. A lot of some trials, some tribulations, you know what I'm saying? And... When it came for me to write it down, to be honest with you, I really had a hard time just speaking to God and having this boldness that I want to speak about. But one thing came up though. I realized one thing about God is that he wants to speak to us. He will speak to us. One thing about us though is that we will constantly try to hide, flee, or avoid his presence. Let's go back to one of humanity's of first interaction with our God. If we go in Genesis 3 verse 8 to 9 it says then the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man where are you i love this uh, passage because it truly speaks of how god wants to speak to us god is omniscient i believe that he didn't know what happened at that time when they ate of the food and they were hiding but because of his love for us because he wants to speak to us he still calls out to the man as i was looking not only in the word of god but also in my personal life uh trials and tribulations things that happen what leads us to actually want us wanting to hide from god wanting to flee god wanting to avoid his presence Three things came to mind, and I hope um, this will apply to you or will bless you as well as I share three things that, I, that bring us to avoid his presence and how often it comes from how we see him or how these things also affect how we see God. The first one is shame and pride. I think it's really, we can really see it in that word. What's funny is that growing up, shame and pride for me were two different emotions. Not saying that we're separate or anything. I just didn't see how they would come up together. But when we look at the word of God, we really do see how shame and pride really go hand in hand. Even in this verse, you see that they have sinned because of the shame. They hide themselves. But when you read further on, when uh, it comes to um, God even asking them questions, you see that they have this pride. They want to fix it or they want to keep this position of worthiness. 
Uh, the funny thing about pride and shame is that it skews our perspective of our capabilities and who we are. We're not able to make ourselves worthy. He makes us worthy. We're not able to face the situation. He sent his son to die on the cross for all our sin so we could be fixed, so our situation could be fixed. What happens with shame and pride is it stops us from seeing God as our Redeemer. When we look in 1 John verse uh, chapter 1, from verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's beautiful about God is that we don't have to hold the pride. We have sin and we have wrongdoings and we have shortcomings. But if we come humbly in front of the throne of grace and we confess, He is loving, kind, faithful and just to forgive us. When we know that God is our Redeemer, when we know that God is the one who fixed our situation, we are able to come face to face. For He died on the cross. He died on the cross and rose again so we could walk boldly and speak boldly in front of the throne of grace. Speak to our Father. Second one is one that I really fall in often because as you grow in faith, you almost believe that it is a holy position is the way to go. Is the lack of sonship and another way to say it's unhealthy servanthood. And how often it brings us to forget that God is our master, but he is also our father. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting on the balcony on the porch of a pastor that I know that we know that is far older than me who is also a psychologist. And he was explaining to us, going through different stories in the Bible, and um, explaining to us, explaining them to us through the word of the God, through the lens of the word of God, but also through the lens of his experience as a psychologist, as a pastor. And um, he spoke about the prodigal son story. And when he spoke about this, this is where it clicked. Um, let, me, let, let us just read in Luke 15, verse 28 to 31. It says, in verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Let me just pause right in there real quick. Um, what's interesting about this is that he refuses to go celebrate his brother, his brother who was literally struggling, who was eating with pigs. That's something that um, I pray that none of y'all have experienced. But that is some hard situation. His father is running to his brother, happy to see, see him. He wants to celebrate and his brother refuses. I think... Um, it really does speak as well, but that's another sermon for a whole other day. How unhealthy servanthood can also bring us to uh, limit our love for others, limit our way of loving. But let's go back to the word. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I love this response. This is what the father says. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. This, what I love most about this word is that it really shows the son, the older brother in this really shows what happens when we step in unhealthy servanthood. Just like him, we can serve his house. We can come on Sunday. We can come on Wednesday. We can come uh, Thursday nights. We can come and serve the house of God. We can come and speak to our father. I don't believe the older brother was in a corner never speaking to his father. We can speak. We can come in prayer. We can speak to him. But we never truthfully show our needs and our desires. We come in with the mask. Sometimes that comes as well in our prayer because we're not really used in our work culture to really come to God and um, to like with our work culture, sorry, not to come to God, come to our bosses 
And after we worked so much, we just feel like uh, we have to be worthy enough to ask something to our bosses. We don't just come to our bosses and be like, hey, this is what I need, you know? We feel like you have to do some type of work to be worthy enough to ask. But the thing with prayer is that sometimes when we walk in unhealthy servanthood, we see the same way. We say all the right things in prayer. We ask for forgiveness of our sins, which is something important that we should do. But when we you do it with an optic of, I'll pray for everyone I know. I'll pray for everything. I'll ask for forgiveness. I'll do all the right things in order to in order to be worthy of, to be able to ask for something, then that's not good. Because the truth is, He cares. He's our Father. Before being even our Master, when He found us, when we were lost, when we didn't know of Him, He adopted us into His family, and we are His children. We are His sons and daughters. And because of that, we get a Father that cares, and He cares for all our needs. He's not He's Jaira. He's not just a provider just for the needs of the church, the needs of other people, but he is our provider for our very needs. So yeah, this is the lack of sunshine, the unhealthy servanthood and how it leads us sometimes to forget that he is our father and he cares. The third one, I believe is something that we see outside these days, really popular, we see it outside to other relationships, but we forget to apply it with our relationship with God. And it's the lack of vulnerability, confessions of our hearts, or laments and how it brings us to forget that he's ultimately our friend let's go back to the verse that we first read which is exodus 33 verse 11 that says the lord would speak to moses face to face as one speaks to a friend then moses would return to the camp but his young age joshua son of Nun, did not leave the tent what I love about this uh, verse as well is that it says that Moses is a friend of God, not that God is only a friend of him. I think we flipped it up in the past couple of years and we always say that God is our friend. But what a blessing and an honor we have to be a friend of his, to be a friend of God. And I think that's the most uh, beautiful thing as well, is that when we have this friendship, we have to be vulnerable. And what's beautiful about this story is that you come, if you go a little bit more up, in the same chapter or in chapter 32, you'd see that um, God also shares of his emotions. He shares about how he feels about Israelites. And Moses as well, after this verse, you'll see how he, he also opens his heart and shares about how he feels about God not going with them to the promised land. And this is what it taught me about our friendship with God. The lack of vulnerability, we have to come sometimes with unresolved emotions, unresolved conflicts, unresolved um, uh, way of seeing things because God cares. He's our friend. We don't have to always package it. We don't have to always make it nice and make it clean for him to accept us. We can come as we are because he's our friend and he wants to hear. He wants to hear our cries. He wants to hear our depression, our anxieties. He wants to hear our hurts. He cares and he is there. The one who has created us is not um, unable to digest our emotions. The one who has made us, our inner being, is able to digest every single feelings that we have. I just wanted to finish up with a hymn, and I think I love him because they really encapsulate our humanity, but also they encapsulate um, the truth of the Word of God, and they really bring it together. It's a hymn that was originally written as a poem by Joseph M. Scriven, who was a pastor, a pastor, preacher here in Canada, while his mother was in Ireland, and he wrote this to comfort her. I think comfort also comes when we have unresolved emotions, so I believe she might have been dealing with maybe grief, any unresolved emotion, and this is what he writes. I think this is a great reminder for us. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. 
Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our very weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Be blessed.